Welcome to the Iowa Agronomy Update, where we talk all things agronomics. I'm your host, Brent Schwinnaker, and this podcast is brought to you by Asgro DeKalb Brand Seeds. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another year of the Iowa Agronomy Update podcast. Hey, we're happy to, to uh, have you back this year in 2020 and, and hope the year is off to a, a great start. Uh, this uh, first episode, we uh, wanted to really kind of change things up a bit with everything going on uh, around us with the, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. We, uh, we brought in uh, our expert from Iowa State University, Dr. Chad Hart, and really this wasn't uh, meant to be uh, about doom and gloom, but more about uh, just kind of giving us some info on some of the major changes that are happening in our industry, what some of the numbers look like. And, and really, he does give a little insight here at the end about some stability and maybe a light that um, helps us uh, see a light at the end of the tunnel for this. So I uh, hope you enjoy. And like I said, glad to have you back and, and look forward to bringing you many episodes here this season on the Iowa Agronomy Update. Thanks for joining us. Hey everyone, and welcome to a new edition of the Iowa Agronomy Update. Uh, uh, it's been a it's been a bit here since we've had a, a new podcast, and it's been uh, kind of a wild ride here over the last uh, few months since you've heard from us uh, late last year. And so we thought this would be a great time uh, to maybe change things up a bit and and uh, get a new topic here and, and really go after some of the the challenges that we're facing here. Uh, in our industry, uh, as we are currently facing today in our in the uh, global pandemic of of COVID nineteen, for today's podcast, uh, it's a it's a pleasure to be joined by a new uh, a new member to the the podcast. Today we're joined by Dr. Chad Hart. So, Mr. Hart, welcome to the podcast. It's my pleasure to be with you today. Hey, Dr. Hart. So, um, you know. We, you know, we're going through a, a relatively a new time uh, for our industry. Um, and so, you know, thanks a lot for being on and and uh, thought this would be a great time. And it's kind of a weird time, right? So a lot of our producers are, you know, just getting ready to put this crop in the ground. And now we've got all this uncertainty on what we're going to do with it at the end of the year. And and so I just thought this would be a great opportunity to bring you on board and talk through some of the some of the stuff that you guys just published. But before we get into that, you know, if um, just for our listeners, um, if you want to give us a little bit of background about, you know, uh, your history here with uh, the Department of Economics and the Center for Agriculture and Rural Development, just give us a little history. Sure. Well, I, I, could, I could say that I sort of grew up in this position. Uh, I came up here to Iowa in 1991, um, right after I'd graduated uh, from college down in Springfield at Southwest Missouri State. Decided to pursue my PhD in economics and statistics up here at Iowa State. And I've basically been up here ever since. Um, Started working for CARD, the Center for Ag and Rural Development, back in 91. Uh, I was with them through my schooling. And then once I graduated, um, they kept me on as a staff member. I worked there in various oh, positions till about 2008. Um, and then um, since then, I've transitioned over to the faculty side. And so I 
took over as an extension uh, crop market specialist back in 2008 and been doing that ever since. And so I continue to work with the folks in the center and that's what we put out this report on COVID-19. It was teaming up with um, some of the folks up there to sort of look at um, what economic impacts we were already seeing within the agricultural markets due to the, the virus outbreak. Yeah. So uh, for those of the, those of you, you that aren't familiar with the uh, publication yet. So uh, Dr. Hart and some of his colleagues have, have put out this publication and I'm going to try and get the link to the, to the publication here on the, on the uh, broadcast um, on the title of the episode. We'll get that link out, but it looks like, uh, yourself, uh, Dr. Hayes, Dr. Jacobs, Schultz, and Dr. Crespi were all part of this publication, it looks yes. like. Yes. So the idea is that um, I sort of had the crop side, Lee and Dermot worked on the livestock aspects. Carrie looked at it from an ag input supply co-ops position. And then John um, Crespi is the director for CARD and sort of helped us think through some of the um, food aspects as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, and, and really I, I saw the publication here for the first time. Oh, I think it was late last week. And so it really just kind of tripped my trigger of a, you know, like, Hey, I, I'd really like to, to chat with you about this and get some of these facts out and, and just really kind of just get some informational stuff out to the our audience here. And so, you know, let's set the stage here for our audience that maybe hasn't seen uh, the publication yet. So, you know, essentially you you guys, the team here, broke down uh, the sectors here uh, in our Iowa industry, and it really dove into the corn, soybean, ethanol, cattle, and, and hog industry, and detailed analysis of the impacts of COVID-19 into that. So, there's a stage now. Can you maybe walk through a little bit about some of the methodology and the dates that were used on the analysis, and and go into some of those details a little bit? Sure. So when you look at it, what we tried to do was be fairly consistent across all five sectors of Iowa's ag economy. So we basically started by saying, okay, when would we start to see impacts from COVID nineteen in our agricultural markets and we went back and looked and, and figured, you know, January 22nd is a good sort of signpost in that that was when the WHO was first noting human to human transmission. We had the first report of, you know, a, a COVID-19 case here in the U.S. So we used that as sort of the, the initial guidepost. And then we looked at price movement from that date, January 22nd until April 9th. And so right before Easter. And the reason April 9th is because that's when we were writing the report. So we tried to use as up sure. to the minute pricing information as we possibly could. Then within each of the sectors, we basically had to make a determination how much of the price movement was related to COVID-19 versus how much was related to other factors. Yeah. And so that varied among the commodities. But the idea is we basically said, okay, let's look at those price movements. Let's apply those price movements to um, average production or marketings of each of the commodities over the course of 2020 and see what the monthly impacts 
would be in terms of revenue flowing back to Iowa agriculture? Yeah, it, it's really, you know, it's a it's a phenomenal uh, piece here, and just a in depth analysis. And like you said, that April 9th point, you know, that Easter point, and and really here. So if we're setting the stage, so really those those sectors, you guys accounted for. It looks like rough math here, just shy of 6.3 billion dollar effect impact into those into those sectors is that correct that is correct with the majority of those losses being in the ethanol and, and the pork sectors because that's where we had seen yeah. the largest um, price declines and production hits yeah and and you had mentioned those largest factors it looks like i'm seeing about 40 percent of that 6.3 uh leaning towards ethanol and another third of it leaning towards the the hog industry so yeah that's what that's um those are big chunks yes uh that's that's those are very glaring numbers that's that is for sure so what i mean i think there's some deceiving little deceiving numbers here right so i think you know you know for this whole COVID 19 impact right and what it's doing to our economy just outside of ag you know some people might glance at this and say well that that's nothing compared to what our industry is going through. Right. Or, you know, but I think the deceiving part of this is like all these, all of these sectors were facing uh, uphill battles or losing, losing battles already, even before the COVID-19. Well, that that's the deal. When you look at the ag economy, um, we had been struggling for the past few years. So these are losses on top of, the losses we've seen in farm incomes over the past five or six years. Uh, I've sort of described it as adding a, a little more insult to the injury that we've had. And so when you're looking at this, you know, I don't know, it's hard to argue that, that six billion is, is a small number. It, it's almost always a large one. But the idea is it's, right. you know, when you compare it to the scale, for example, of the Iowa economy, you know, the total Iowa economy in a year is worth about $190 billion. So just to show a $6 billion loss in these five industries alone says that, no, you're seeing substantial losses, not only here in agriculture, but across all sorts of sectors within the total Iowa economy. Yeah. Chad, you mentioned uh, the fact that you kind of had to, to, play a little devil's advocate here as far as trying to figure out what how much of the how much of the um, impact is is from COVID-19 and then how much is from outside factors right so yeah. we've had um, trade war we've had uh, the now the uh, Russia uh, Saudi Arabia oil supply fight um, so how, how did those play into the corn and soybean and ethanol uh, side of the analysis? Well, as I mentioned, you know, you know, earlier I said, you know, we sort of discounted some of the price losses here. And so for like corn and soybeans, we basically determined that about 70% of the price loss was driven by COVID-19 with about 30% coming from other sources. As you mentioned, trade being probably the biggest one of those other sources. For ethanol, it was more like a 50-50 proposition. The idea is that a lot of the losses 
and on the ethanol and the energy sides were being driven by that oil fight between Saudi Arabia and Russia that was happening before COVID-19 really took hold. And so that's why you see a different split in the, how much of the price decline we attribute to COVID-19. Yeah. So before we dive into some of these individual sectors here and think about in terms of overall history, is there anything remotely comparative in our history that even comes close within our industry that relates to this kind of loss within a three to four month time period? Not really. I mean, you know, when we were looking in, in the report, we sort of compare that, you know, this is not like the Great Recession of a decade ago. This is not like the 80s farm crisis. Um, the closest things to this might be uh, the Dust Bowl and, you know, the Great Depression. Um, there were a couple of periods during, for example, the Civil War era where we saw significant adjustments in agriculture. Um, you know, there's the 1918 flu pandemic. Um, but none of those quite line up with the, let's call it the short and severe impacts that we're seeing with COVID-19 today. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, it just, that's one of the telling things of this uh, that just makes it so, you know, it, you know, like how, I know that, you know, I don't want to get to the final question or ending point, but it's just like, these are, like you said, so, such severe impacts and, and numbers. It's just like, how do we, and I won't go there yet, how do we, how do we re rebound from this? And so let's, let's table that one maybe till the end but let's i guess since um since we're on the uh iowa agronomy update here with decalb and asgro you know let's as a seed company let's let's talk about maybe corn first right so that's probably where should where we should start and so your your analysis here looks like it's about uh i'm i'm showing about a, a 2.6 billion bushel impact with an economic uh, damage of about seven uh, 788 uh, million and and that's based on my take on this analysis it looks like you're showing about a 40 percent a 40 40 cent uh, per bushel loss over the next nine months um, you know and like you said this was an Easter analysis uh, what you know, looking back to Easter, you know, and, and looking at the prices that you use on April 9th, uh, I'm not going to lie that those price estimates on April 9th are looking pretty attractive. Right they now. are. And that, that's the sad part here is that we've continued to watch the market, especially for corn, continue to work its way lower since then. Um, you know, in, in these estimates, what we did was, you know, since 2020, you know, we're at the very beginning stages of planting that crop. Um, we evaluated using 2019 production levels and sort of divided the crop up by month based upon average marketing patterns over the past five years and sort of said, okay, futures on April 9th give us this indication of what revenues can be as we look forward and worked out, okay, what was the loss that we saw in price 
from January till Easter, take that across all our bushels and see where, where you know, how, how large the impacts are and then how they sort of spread out over time. One of the things that was, um, I think, critical here to remember is that, as you say, right now, you know, prices have continued to go lower, meaning that some of our estimates here are a little too light in terms of the damage. Um, but there's also the hope if we can get the virus, you know, controlled better, um, you know, there's the potential for rebound here. And especially as you look at some of these numbers, the bigger losses for especially the crops do come later in the year, especially as we approach harvest time and beyond, because that's when we tend to make the bulk of our sales. Yeah, so so let's, I guess, let it, you're kind of touching on some notes that I had maybe a little bit later in my notes, but let's, let's jump there. So you're talking corn harvest 2020. Um, you, your analysis at this time had eight ethanol plants uh, idled. Um, and, and that, that point, and is that, is that number still accurate or, or where are we at in Iowa for ethanol? That number, yeah, that on? number is holding. Um, and especially, you know, actually just earlier today, the energy information administration. So the, the arm of the department of energy that, that tracks the ethanol, um, industry basically showed that after three weeks of very significant drops in production, Hopefully, we're starting to see some stability. Last week's production numbers are fairly close to the weeks before. And so we had the eight plants shut down. We've had a um, significant number of plants across the state slow down. So we're seeing production levels that are roughly half of what they were at this time last year. And that's the deal. Those production numbers are sort of baked into the analysis that we did here. Okay. Well, I, you know, if I guess if there is a silver lining, maybe there sounds like maybe some stability there, which, uh, you know, for those of us still sitting on some grain, maybe there's, there is some hope that, you know, that we can still get that ground out <clears throat> here this summer and, and not lose all hope of not having a market for it to go to, I guess. That, that is the, the big hope here. And I think, you know, you're seeing, um, you know, especially if we can, start to open back up pieces of the economy that should help boost not only ethanol's outlook but definitely corn along with it yeah yeah and that's that's the two pieces of this uh analysis that are, are very closely related right your corn analysis and your and your ethanol analysis kind of tie a little bit hand in hand there i'm sure but how, Theoretically, though, on this demand, as we start to open things back up, uh, are there how how quickly can that energy demand get back to normal? Will it get back to normal? Well, I think there are some permanent changes that are happening to it. Um, but at the same time, too, a lot of it can come back fairly quickly. Um, really, it depends upon how how quickly we can reopen many businesses. If you think about what has happened, uh, you know, under COVID-19, we have seen a lot of the shelter in place, stay at home orders, work from home orders, and that has created a significant drop in travel. 
In fact, um, just a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at the, the weekly date and we saw uh, basically gasoline demand across the entire U.S. drop to levels we haven't seen in over 50 years. So it's, you know, we're talking a severe curtailment of fuel usage. And that has, you know, rippled not only through the oil market, the gas market, the ethanol market, and, um, you know, so all sectors of the fuel market, whether you are conventional or biofuel, um, you are struggling right now under the severe lack of demand due to the travel, let's call it restrictions and guidelines in order to avoid COVID-19 spread. Yeah, it, it, it's just hard, I, I guess, right now after we've been idle here for you know shelter whatever you want to call it for a month now it seems uh, it just it seems hard that 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 demand is is going to come back uh any time you know to full demand because it just feels like your tourism is is certainly going to suffer in that travel demand this summer where typically that's a high high time for that that type of demand you know, and then the, I think another factor that, uh, you know, I've talked about with a few people is like, how, how many of these businesses now are finding out that, that maybe they can get business done uh, at, with their employees working from home? You know, I, I mean, is that is that factored into well, any of this that's at all? Deal. We didn't explicitly work that in, but it is part of the, I guess, the issue as we're looking forward here. And um, one of the reasons we use the futures market prices so heavily as we did here is that you can think of the futures market as sort of, a, let's call it the composite guess of all the participants in the market as to how quickly or slowly demand might come back for a commodity. Yeah. 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 And that, and that's probably our, our, I guess our best indicator right now is, is, is what we have, right? I mean, that's really about the, the yep. best thing that we can do. And so, especially when you're looking at some of the numbers here, for example, you know, as we look at corn, as it was priced back on April 9th, what you really saw was, you know, the softest prices that the market was projecting were definitely April, May, June, with slowly rising prices beyond that. And I think that reflects, you know, a lot of the thinking that, okay, this spring, definitely COVID-19 is going to dominate the landscape here. But hopefully as we get deeper, especially into summer, we might be able to see some uh, possible reopenings of some, you know, parts of the marketplace. And that, that was reflecting in the better prices being put on the board at the time. Yeah. So in, in your analysis, you would also used, uh, I think you said average basis numbers for this, for over this time. It, I mean, it, I mean, it feels to me that we're, we're not really running at average, um, basis numbers anymore. It, I mean, is that something that plays into effect here down the road as well or not? That does as well. I mean, if you think about it, we were running sort of, I would say, a, you know, a little bit better than average to start off the year of 2020. Mm -hmm. And now you're right. The idea is we've seen that basis level slip 
um, especially here in Iowa, given, you know, the corn ethanol tie-in here. Ethanol is a big driver of local basis in this state. And so right. that, you know, sort of um, adds to the ripple effect here we're seeing in terms of what COVID-19 is doing. The other question is, I mean, if these plants sit idle, you know, and if there's any more that become idle here over over the summer months as, as we hopefully try and get this demand back, you know, will our infrastructure other places be able to hold a trend line crop? Well, right now, if you look at storage capacity of, of, of grain throughout the entire country, we do have enough storage capacity to basically hold the entire nation's corn, soybean, and wheat crops. What you're likely to see, though, would be regional issues as far as that's concerned, and we see them every year. Sure. Um, but the idea is that, you know, we, especially over the past, say, decade, we have added a fair amount to our storage capabilities throughout the land. And um, we've been more willing to utilize those over the past few years as well. And so we can hold what we're potentially going to grow, but we're going to have spots where we're going to have significant problems. Yeah, yeah that's that uh, and I'm, you know, from a, and I know, you know, like I said, this, you know, we're, we're here on an agronomy podcast and it just, you know, as our customers are starting to think about, you know, we're just putting this crop in the ground now, you know, what, you know, what agronomy decisions are we going to make throughout the year that that's going to change that and, and, and places to go with it and things like that. These are all things I'm sure that's running through everybody's, everybody's head right now. So it's, it's an interesting time but I, I do want to touch here on on the hog and and uh cattle industry here before uh we let you go and i'm just going to read here your um your intro paragraph and i felt that this was uh, very uh, impactful and hit hits home uh so the, the intro paragraph uh states that covid19 has impacted every step in the red meat supply chain the distribution and transportation system that is in place to take meat from packers to retailers is suffering from a severe lack of labor. Workers are calling in sick, uh, avoiding work due to safety concerns, or staying home to care for school-aged children, which means that the link between retail demand and packer-level demand is, in short, broken. Uh, man, that that hits the bullseye. Uh, broken. I think that very last word is, is just hits home with me as far as what, especially since Easter, right? I think as we're starting to see some of the 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 packing plants and and some of the issues we're seeing here over the last week and a half, uh, that that broken supply chain is, I mean that that is a huge variable here that affects all five of these sectors, right? It definitely does. And that's the deal. When you see these plant closures, I've described it as sort of a pinch point that is sort of separating what we're seeing on the farm and, you know, and on the ranch versus what we're seeing at the grocery store and, you know, and in the retail marketplace that, you know, they are, they've always been sort of separate markets, but right now they're behaving as completely different markets due to the broken link in between at the processing plants. Yeah, it, 
you know, and I mean, really, this is, and like I said, that broken link, you know, and, and I think, right, we're, we're, we're a fairly resilient industry, right? I mean, we, we typically find ways to, to break these or not break the links, but fix the broken links, right? And, and, and kind of fight our way, way through that. But, you know, this is, you know, unforeseen times and, and can these links be fixed uh, in, in a rel relatively efficient manner or not, I guess, is, is where I'm trying to get to. Well, and I think what you're seeing the industry try to do is, um, you know, trying to maintain, let's call it a baseline flow of supply um, moving from, you know, the farm to the retail market, while at the same time, too, I describe it as replumbing. We're basically reworking the insides of those processing plants trying to make them let's call it less conducive mm -hmm. to adding to COVID spread. I, I think when you look, part of what made our processing facilities so good and efficient has also made them highly susceptible mm -hmm. to COVID-19. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, especially as you start to see, you know, some of the pictures that come through online and how, you know, their working conditions are so tight, right. And they're so efficient because of that. It also leads into some of those concerns. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's really mind boggling to, to start to look at that and that pinch point, like you said, between, you know, the, our, our supply chain, right. I mean, it really is our pinch point, like you said. And so, you know, just like, just like our, our, um, we're, we're starting to try and learn how to shift our food demand from, you know, what used to be, you know, our restaurant chains and, and some of those, um, and into, into grocery stores. I mean, is that, I'm assuming that's gotta be affecting some of the higher end cuts, right. On some of the, the, the pork and, and beef, right. Yeah, and in fact, it you know it affects not only meats, but you're seeing this with fruits, vegetables, all across the sort of the food, you know, choice here. When you know, take us back pre-COVID, you'd have been talking, you know, across the U.S. Over half the money we spent on food, we would always spend it away from home. So you're thinking about your restaurants, food service, um, but even things like you know your schools and things like that. And so we were consuming more away from home than at home. Yeah. The other thing is that we tend to consume differently at home than we were away from home. And so not only is the food sector having to adjust to everything coming to at home, but we're also adjusting to that people are buying a different mix of food today than they did four months ago because they're consuming at home. Yeah, uh, I can speak from experience on having uh, a family of five with three boys at home for three meals a day has been uh, a little a little mind numbing <laughs> as far as that that change. And it, it certainly is a change. I mean, we're when you think about, you know, at the beginning of this, you, you, you know, you, you talk about, you know, just go out and get maybe an extra week's worth of groceries to limit your your exposure into making your trips and, and self-isolation, but 
all of a sudden you blow through two weeks worth of food in a, in about four days because <laughs> yeah. we're not used to doing that at home. And, and it's, it's, it's an adaption that we've have to get used to now. It is. It's a hard adaption because you think, yeah, you're, you know, as you thought about your normal load of groceries. Yeah. Well, now you're not having just normal meals at home. You know, when it's every breakfast, lunch, and dinner at home, it definitely compounds. Yeah. You know, the food you need to bring home from that grocery store, and like I say, that that mix switches up now. Yeah. One of the biggest areas we saw that shift was, example, milk, where you know when you think about when the schools closed down that shut off the most direct flow, if you will, we had for fluid milk moving through this country, yeah. going through the, the food or the um, school chain. Yeah. Now with the school shut down, the dairy industry is, you know, having to do a hard shift, trying to create more products that, you know, reach home delivery as opposed to school delivery. Yeah, a lot of a lot of shift, uh, and, and thankfully we're in an industry here that's uh, highly agile, and hopefully we'll we'll get it get it figured out here down the road. Uh, just just a question here, uh, off the off the cuff here a little bit. Uh, the poultry industry, what what does that look like uh, as far as uh, impact uh, as this as well? Uh, we're seeing similar sorts of of issues with poultry. Um, as we're looking there, they're having the same issues on the processing. Um, you know, so when you look across the meats, there is a very, let's call it similar tale happening, whether you're staring at the birds, the pigs, or the cows. The pinch point is, is at the processing plants. Um, we have seen some shutdowns, some slowdowns, and again, a, a rearrangement of what the industry needs to create in order to fulfill consumer desires. Mm -hmm. All three meats definitely relied upon strong connections with restaurants that are they're now having to rework and figure out what sort of, you know, if you will, products and packaging do we need to put forward uh, to try to gain enough in at-home consumption to offset the losses out of the restaurants. Uh, this is this is good stuff here, uh, Dr. Hart. So um, I guess the last question I, I've got here for you would be kind of bringing it back home here to to our crop side and our, our core base of, of listeners here. Um, you know, as we as we fight through the year here and, and we think about marketing, um, crop insurance would was probably something that um, we think about here as part of our, our revenue protection plan here. We, you know, how, what's the balance here of, of, you know, maybe if we're still trying to decide what crop to plant, maybe, um, balancing it w with revenue protection. Do we, do we still go forth and try and produce the, the largest crop we can? You know, th these are all things that I know I've had conversations over the last two weeks about, um, you know, what, you know, how do we balance all these things, right? I mean, here in the next week, two weeks, three weeks. Well, I always, you know, and th this would be true whether we were talking COVID-19 or not, you know, from an individual producer's perspective, it's always the case that you want to produce more bushels because those bushels represent your potential income. And that's what keeps you farming. And so, you know, from that perspective, 
that hasn't changed under COVID-19. What has changed is the, let's call it the pricing outlook, but as you correctly pointed out, there are other factors at play this year. For example, you know, farmers have already signed up for crop insurance. So we know we've got some better guarantees out there, especially if we signed up for revenue insurance that provides us a bit of revenue support or income support um, if markets continue to go lower. We're also seeing the federal government step up with other types of support uh, to roll out to agriculture. And so I always come back to, you know, as a, a farmer's looking at, especially the production decision right now, it's, it comes back to going, okay, pencil out which crop right now offers you the best opportunity um, for, you know, your greatest returns in 2020. Um, and when I'm looking at the price levels for both corn and soybeans, we have seen those, you know, average, you know, projected prices drop fairly significantly. But I think there are still opportunities out there uh, to um, gain, I won't, I won't say good prices, but I think we'll have some opportunities for some chances at sometimes breaking even as we're looking forward into 2020. For example, as I was just running the numbers today um, from the futures market, and when I looked at corn on a national average, it was pricing the 2020 crop at around $3.30 a bushel, which would put it actually fairly close to break even based upon our Iowa State production cost for corn. So, yes, we've seen significant loss, but I think we've still got some opportunities that can be grabbed in the 2020 marketplace. Well, I think I think that's a I think that's a great place to to end with is let's let's end on a high note here and and not get into too much doom and gloom here that there there is some hope. Um, I think we, we will get through this. Uh, so I'm taking a little hope out of this, uh, Dr. Hart, um, so that um, there are some opportunities. I'm also taking a little thing away here that hopefully the ethanol, um, our ethanol uh, piece has stabilized and, and that we've got some hope there for some, in, uh, bring that demand back here in the near term. So let's let's keep our fingers crossed here. But Dr. Hart, thank you. Thank you very much for, for joining us today. I know you've been busy and I'm sure crunching numbers and looking at this uh, from 18 million different ways, uh, probably 16 different times during the day too. So uh, appreciate you taking some time today and joining us. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity and hopefully next time we'll have a much lighter and happier discussion. Yes, let's let's revisit this when we're all back to normal and, and we've found that opportunity to make to make uh, to make some gains on this after all the demand is back. So let's 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 uh, let's count on that. So thank you much, uh, Dr. Hart, and and thanks for everybody listening in. And we will we'll, um, be joining you here as we start to get our crop in the field and, and have some uh, agronomy updates here as the season gets started. So thanks a lot for listening and, and we'll hope to see you again. Thank you much.